1933, there were a couple of high school students in Cleveland that decided that they wanted to make a new character. They wanted to develop a character that reminded them of the mythology that they were reading about in their English class, but was set in a modern day scenario, and in fact, in modern day America. And so the two guys were named Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and they began to work on this character and develop him. And they decided to give him the physique of a popular movie star at the time named Douglas Fairbanks, who had played Zorro, who had been Robin Hood, and they, they decided to give him that kind of physique, and then they, they, they kind of modeled his facial features and name after uh, guys that were on the screen at the time, Kent Taylor and, and Clark Gable, and they gave him a costume that was this kind of mixture of things. There was this space uh, suit kind of quality to it, but it also looked a little bit like a circus performer's costume, and it had this Victorian error cape. They began to draw it. They were a little concerned, though, because they thought the result came out a little too cartoonish. There were cartoons out at the time that were that way. I mean, Popeye was really strong, but I mean, we talked about Popeye a couple of weeks ago. He he was just this kind of a caricature. It, it wasn't serious, and they they wanted this to be taken a little more seriously. Both the guys were Jewish, and about that time, the rise of a man in Germany named Adolf Hitler had really started to take the world's attention. They began to hear stories of. What was happening to their people in Germany in the concentration camps. And as they heard those stories, they went back to the stories of their own youth and their own faith. And they remembered another time when a man was cast into the role of delivering his people, his Jewish people, from the oppression of a ruler who would not let them go. So they began to mold a storyline in line with the biblical account of Moses as a deliverer of the people under oppression. In fact, they were so kind of committed to that, they gave their hero a name. And they gave him a name that sounds like a space alien name, but it's actually a Jewish name. They gave him the name Kalel, which means all that is God. Anybody know who I'm talking about? That's the character. It's Superman, right? Look at there. And here's the interesting thing about Superman. This comic became so popular that Adolf Hitler actually commented on these two guys. Because of the power of this story of one overcoming and of this hero that was rescuing people from danger. Comics began to have a resurgence back then, and it really kind of grew in the 30s and 40s, but a problem sort of happened when they came up with what they called the comic code. And it was really kind of pushed on by the U.S. government that wanted to make sure that Superman stories and Wonder Woman stories and Batman stories were okay for kids. And so Batman was given a goofy sidekick. Superman was... Forced into kind of villain of the week stories. And all that changed in the 1960s when a guy named Stan Lee and a company called Marvel started drawing new things. 
He created a couple of characters that really didn't catch on. They were Fantastic Four and the Hulk. Nobody really wanted to see those people. And then he drew in the 15th edition of their ongoing comic, he drew the story of a young man that gets bitten by a spider. Anybody have a clue who that is? That's tough, wasn't it? Spider-Man, there he is. And in the story of Spider-Man, it was quite an interesting story because his story was darker than what had been in comic stuff originally. In fact, in the story of Spider-Man, he gets bit by the spider and instead of immediately realizing what he's supposed to do and going out and saving people and all that, he uses his powers for his own advantage. And so he shows off what he's doing to people. And in one scene... There's a crime taking place, and instead of using his powers to help, he turns the other way and walks away. Now, at the end of that particular issue, by the way, anybody here comic book person? Yeah, a couple of you, all right? Some of you are like, maybe, but I don't want to raise my hand. It's all right. I'm not, all right? But So if I got any of this wrong, you can tell me later, all right? On the original, this is the 15th edition of their amazing uh, series. At the end of the book, Spider-Man's alter ego, what was his name? Peter Parker, right? Some of you knew that. You didn't want to act like you did, but you knew. Peter Parker witnesses that his uncle, who was his father, his father-like figure, the one that took care of him, was killed. And he realizes that he was killed by the same criminal That he didn't stop earlier. And this kind of heaviness is at the very end of that first comic. Here's a picture from it actually. And on the left you can see Peter Parker with the Spider-Man mask kind of off. And it says, my fault. It's all my fault. If only I had stopped him when I could have. But I didn't. And now Uncle Ben is dead. And then over on the side, as it fades away, it has these, this thing that says, And a lean, silent figure slowly fades into the gathering darkness, aware at last that in this world, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. It's become one of the most famous phrases, not just in comic books, not just in kind of popular culture, but really it's one of the most famous phrases uh, kind of around, and it's this simple phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You realize that Stan Lee and Peter Parker and Spider-Man aren't the first person to say that, right? Here's what Luke chapter 12 says. I think we got it. There it is. Everyone To whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Now if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start this new series of messages today called Change Your World. And we're going to start it with this kind of understanding that we are expected to change our world. 
There, there is an expectation that we ought to be doing this. And it comes from this passage of scripture where Jesus says to whom much is given, much is required. Now, it's in a strange sort of passage of scripture in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Jesus is talking about the end of the world. He's not talking about some kind of touchy-feely subject, or he's not even talking about some issue um, of stewardship that we're going to kind of talk about or, or of using things. He's talking about questions they have about the end of the world. And, and let me just tell you what Jesus always says about the end of the world. He says it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter where, all that matters is that you're ready. In fact, I think if Jesus were to talk to us today, we would say, Jesus, tell us about the end of the world. He would say, don't spend your time trying to figure out the who, what, when, and where. Figure out whether you're ready or not. Look in chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus is talking to a group of people that includes his disciples. And he says to them, this is after he's talked about get rid of material possessions if they're causing you problems. Get rid of things that are distracting you from the kingdom of God. Verse 35, he says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, here's what Jesus is talking about in their day and time. Uh, weddings could last for a week or longer. And so if you were a servant in a master's house who got invited to a wedding, the master would leave. But, but here's the truth. You never knew when it was going to end. Some of you say, I've been to weddings like that. You, you, never, you never knew. It could be a day he could be gone. It could be three days. It could be a month. It could be He didn't know because he might get there and have family there and the family say, stay for a while. And so he says, you ought to be like the servants at the house who no matter when he comes back, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Now, let me ask you a quick question, all right? Is there anybody in here who ever procrastinates? You know, some of you are like, let me, wait a second, let me wait on that. Okay, now I do, all right? Here's what I know, okay? Just imagine for a minute that you've got guests coming into town, okay? And you've got guests coming into town, and you know that their plane arrives at 12 o'clock tomorrow, which means they'll be here about 1.30 tomorrow, and you've got two hours of work to get done on the house and get things together. There are some of you that will wait until 12 o'clock tomorrow to do it. Let me rephrase that. There are some of us who would wait until 12 o'clock tomorrow to do it. Anybody? Thank you for being honest here. The rest of you are lying. All right. Um, some of you aren't. Some of you are like, I'd be prepared always. I know, but we don't want to talk about you right now. All right. But what if your family called and said, we're going to be there sometime between Monday and Thursday? First of, so first of all, some of you would be like, i got to have a better time. That is not going to work in our schedule. You have got to nail it down a little more, right? But the truth is, if we thought whatever the first possible time they might be back, we probably are going to be prepared for them whenever. And Jesus says, just like a master that goes away and he comes back, be ready. Now, the point he's going to make here is, you don't know when I'm coming back. 
phrased another way is, we don't know how much time we've got. He's going to continue, and we're not going to read this part in just a minute, but he's going to continue and he says, listen, if you knew when a thief was coming into your house, you would take precautions and not let the thief into your house. The Son of Man is coming like a thief in the night. You're not going to know it. It's going to happen, and you're going to go, ooh, that was a surprise. He says, be ready. In fact, he says, it will be beneficial for those who are ready. Good things will happen for those who are ready. He said, when you're there and you open the door and the master comes in and the master goes, wow, you were ready. Everything's like it should be. You're doing exactly what you should. He said, the master will then sit you down and said, instead of you serving me for the moment, let me serve you. It will be a great reward is the point Jesus makes. There will be unbelievable things happen if you're ready. And he's also going to tell him if you're not, there's punishments. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But here's what I find interesting about what we just read. The way we get ready is to do what we've already been told to do. He tells them in verse 35, be dressed ready for service. Now, the NIV and all modern translations clean that up for us because what the phrase there is, always have your loins girded. Doesn't that speak to your heart right there? Yeah, you out there, you have your loins girded, all right? Here's the point. In their day and time, when you were prepared, not only were you dressed in your, your attire to work, but when you were ready to work, you had gotten where, you know, guys wore like tunics and you didn't want it kind of bundled around so you couldn't run or you couldn't serve or you couldn't work. And so it's almost like uh, in our day would be guys rolling up their sleeves to get ready to work. Guys would kind of tuck their tunics in and that was called girding up your loins. It's getting ready. He said, so spend your time. Ready to do whatever it is you've been called to do. But not only that, keep the lamps burning. Keep them always there. Now, to keep the lamps burning, you had to check on them. You had to make sure the oil was just right. It was not something you could leave for six or seven hours at a time. Every 30 minutes, every hour, every couple hours, you're checking them. You're filling oil. You're making sure they're there. You're doing exactly what you should be doing. And always be ready at the door for when the master gets here that you're ready to open the door like you're supposed to do and to let him walk in and to be a part of what's happening here. Always be doing what you're always supposed to do to be ready for when the master returns. You got that? So what are we supposed to be doing? Well, I'm glad he told us. Because Jesus' point to them is to remember what he's already called us to do. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one of those things that he's called us to do. And that is to change your world. Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the earth. I like salt a lot. Anybody else out there? I didn't ask if you could eat it or not. I asked if you liked it. It makes things taste better, right? I like salt a lot. He says, you are the salt of the earth. It preserves things. It gives flavor. In fact, part of what Jesus means in that passage is that we ought to be the people that are bringing flavoring and intrigue and interest to the world in which we live. We ought to be impacting the culture we are in with positive things, making it better to be a part of. In my life, salt makes things better. Amen. Y'all are quiet today. Amen. It makes things better. He says that is part of your job is to be the influencing part of society that makes things 
better. You know, sometimes you see on blogs and you hear on TV and you listen to radio and you, you just get this sense that the world we live in is is deteriorating and falling apart. I mean, just this week, the the idea that on the same day a, a new ground offensive war started over in the Middle East, on the same day that because of a conflict in Eastern Europe, a passenger plane was shot down with military weaponry. Sometimes I just look at the TV and I just go, how in the world did we get here? Here's the honest answer from Scripture. It's our fault. The church's fault. People that are followers of Jesus' fault. Because we are the salt of the earth. Just a few verses later, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You, you're to be the one that in the darkness that you find yourself, people can look and see the light. As a church, we've got to figure out how to be salt and light to the people around us. Can I tell you what it's probably not going to include? is a lot of yelling and screaming. You're going to hell. You know, in Tennessee, that's like a three-syllable word, right? Turn or burn, get right or get left. Now, I could preach that sermon if you want to, and there is truth in it. But being salt and light means influencing culture through positive ways that show the glory and the majesty and the love and the mercy and the grace of the God we serve. So here's what I want to do with the rest of the time today. And then we're going to look at the end of that Luke chapter 12. I'll answer three quick questions that sets up the rest of the series. And we're going to take this series through the second week of August. And in the second week of August, we're going to report about some ways that our children and our youth and our adults have impacted their world over this summer. I'm really excited about that on the 10th. Three quick questions to answer before we kind of get into it starting next week. First of all, why? Why are we even going to do this? Well, the simple answer is, is because doing that does what God loves. God loves the world. Now, how do we know God loves the world? Because he says it, right? For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believed in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that because God says it. He, he says over in Peter that he did, His goal is that none should perish, but that all should come to faith in Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is constantly talking about the love God has for people, the world, sinners, people that are outside the faith that we currently know. In fact, He loves the world so much that it says that if there's one of us that has gone missing, He would go out to the world to find the one and leave the 99 church folk behind. That's what it says, right? You ever lost something? Like important? Maybe it's not vastly important, but I lost my wallet this week. And I had to go drive it. Now, in our house, losing things is not that um, uncommon because I have um, kids that like to pick up my stuff and move them to new places. And it's real easy in my house to blame 
In fact, the biggest culprit we have is Ava. Ava will get my wallet and next thing I know, every credit card I have is spread out on the floor. And some that I didn't have are there and some I did have are no longer there. I lost it. You know how frustrating it is when you lose something? And I had to go somewhere. And to go somewhere, I had to drive somewhere. And to drive somewhere, you're supposed to have your license, right? And it just bugged my mind. You know, we we ended up leaving and Susan drove because, you know, I didn't have my license. And the whole way we're doing stuff. But you know what's in the back of my mind? I have no clue where that thing is. i got to find it. When I get home, i got to find it. Anybody else been there with me? All right. And I get home and I look and I find it and it is exactly where I put it. Up on the mantle where nobody else could get it. It's always the last place you look, right? Because you don't look anymore after you find it, right? Scripture describes God's love for the lost as someone who has lost something. Lost a sheep, lost a coin, lost a child. God loves the world. And if we're going to be in a heart with God, we have to be in a heart where we are impacting and influencing and showing people the love of Christ in the world. Secondly, it's because that's our purpose. That's the whole reason we're here. When he's getting ready to go back to the Father, he gives us our commission. He gives us our purpose. He gives us our job. And he says, your job is to make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all. That I've taught you and tell you to obey it and I'll be with you. And then over in chapter one of Acts, he says, go be my witnesses. The people that tell people about who I am and what I've done and where you've been and how I've changed your life. Be my witnesses. We may have other careers. We may have other jobs. We may have other functions. But our aim number one top priority in life is to spread the kingdom of God through telling people about Jesus. That's it. And if we're going to do what we're supposed to be doing, if we're going to be girding our loins, if we're going to be standing by the door, if we're going to keep the lamps burning, that means we're going to be impacting the culture and the people around us for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the why. Second question is where? And I'll tell you, it's simple. Your world. The title of this Series is very specific. It is change your world. It's not change the world. It's not change my world. It's not change our world. I'm challenging you to change your world. Here's my belief. If each one of us would change our personal world, it would change the world. But here's what I want you to get. And we're going to talk about this more next week, particularly. I want you to ask the question. Why has God placed me where he has placed me around the people he has placed me for his kingdom? Everyone in this room has a different sphere of influence. Now, what God has called you to do is to live out his love and his grace and his mercy and impact your world around you. You are in the family you are in for some reason. So you ask God, 
Why am I here? How can I impact them? How are you going to use me for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom? You're in the school that you're in for some reason. When you're sitting around people starting in a couple of weeks at desk, why did God place me in this class, in this moment, at this time? How am I to impact the people around me right now for the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're in the workplace that you're in for some reason. Why am I next to the coworker I'm with? Why am I under the boss that I am? Why Why am I talking or in a place of a leadership here that I need to be? What is God intending for me to do for the kingdom of God right here? You are in social settings and athletic teams and organizations because of the influence that comes. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. As you begin to spread out all the people that your life comes in contact with, my guess is that you're going to come in contact with lots of people who are not followers or believers of Jesus Christ. And every one of those people that have been brought into your circle of influence are people that are your responsibility. And to whom much is given, much is required. How is God calling you to impact your world? Here's the third question. How? So how do I do it? First of all, and this is going to seem kind of esoteric and spiritual, but I want you to stick with me. You listen and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking in your life. You just wait for those moments when you just kind of feel a prompting to do something. I I thought about this, uh, it's been a few weeks now. I was out eating, and uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but but when I go out to eat, I don't always, we don't always get the, you know, top line servers. I was out eating, and, and I was having this meal, and the service was not exemplary. It was um, less than stellar. And generally, I know people who immediately, when that kind of happens, in your mind, the mental tip calculator is descending. Like, ooh, that was five minutes too long. It just went to 11%. So you're like, 11? I just start at 10 and go down from there. For some reason, I just felt the Lord saying, and, and I'm not this kind of guy. I'm not. The guy that always talks to the waitress about faith and all those kind of things. I I just felt the leading to say something to her. And I just said, um, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm getting ready to pray. And she brought the food, finally. I said, I'm getting ready to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And she just kind of took her off guard for a minute. And I just got a whole lot going on in my life. A lot of things I don't know how I'm going to make right i would really appreciate your prayers that can i tell you something that changes how you feel about the rest of the meal that wasn't a tough part because when the food came and everything was good and i was getting ready for the check and i got the check and i started to do it was not one of those restaurants that's helpful that has the percentages at the bottom so my mind as i'm starting to think about it i just felt the spirit saying don't count the percentage. Give a honking tip. You know what a honking tip is? A really big one, all right? One that makes people go, what? You want to talk about hard obedience right there? 
I mean, the truth is most of us think obedience is okay until it gets to our pocketbook. But this was one of those moments. I don't know what happened to that. I don't know if anything happened of it. But I know that in that moment, I was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just confess to you, as your pastor, I don't always do that. I'm not always as responsive to the Holy Spirit as I need to be. And there are time after time after time when I walk away from a situation and I go, ah, I missed it. There was an opening right there. You could drive a truck through it, and I missed it. And I may never have that opportunity again. When you're thinking about impacting your world, that includes people that may be brought into it for just a short period of time, to whom much is given, much is required. And it is our job to listen to the sensitivity or with sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. Maybe that means this week, You just decide, maybe it's this afternoon when you go to lunch, that no matter where you go to lunch, you're going to bless whoever is your server. Can I tell you something? If you commit to do that, you're going to get the worst server possible. That's the way God does it sometimes. I'm just going to bless them because, you know, you're not going to get there and it'd be the, it's going to be, what what are you, bless them, I'm going to bless them. Or maybe it's this week you decide to do that, something small like that. Or maybe it's that conversation that you know you're supposed to have had with a spouse or with a child or with a parent or with a friend or with a co-worker that you're finally going to say it's time i'm not waiting for the perfect moment because it's not going to come it's time and here's the last thing and then we'll finish up real quickly after this not only be sensitive to the spirit's prompting but also find a need and fill it find a hurt and heal it here's the thing if you see a need Ask, am I the one to do something about it? Not, who can I call to fill it? Find a need, fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. I'm so proud of some of our women um, that are taking part in something special even tonight. Uh, A few weeks ago, my wife, uh, our women do lots of great things. Our women's ministry is doing a lot of great things. A few weeks ago, my wife got invited just by chance to go to this ministry that's happening downtown with women that have either been in prison or on the verge of prison or trying to get their life back on order, back in order. And Susan went down there with some other friends from other churches and served and just really felt that the Lord was calling us to kind of help out a little bit with that. And we've had a group go down there a couple of times. Uh, and then they found out that during this week that they didn't have a working kitchen and they needed just for a short term somebody to provide meals. And so on Tuesday night, several women from our church drove down there and provided meals for them. And then tonight we have more women, uh, some of the same, but some different women that are providing a meal and going down there to help out tonight. And here's what's really cool about that. When you begin to step through in faith and find a need and fill it, God opens more doors. And Susan went down Tuesday night, and this is her third or fourth time down there, and there was a new girl there that hadn't been there before, and as they're feeding and as they're talking, she realizes some things are happening, and Susan has the opportunity right there, because we took food to them, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody that had been in the program for a day or two. You find a need, and you fill it. You find a hurt, and you heal it. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about your particular world and what that looks like and some more practical things. But I just want to leave you with this warning. And this is from Jesus. He says this. Suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming and he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. 
The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. And so this is a guy that knows what he's supposed to be doing and defiantly decides that he is not going to do it and does the opposite of it. Instead of doing what he's supposed to, he goes out and defies his master and does whatever he wants, however he wants, and he ends up causing problems in it. He is completely disobedient. This is what the master will do. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Some translations try to gloss over the cut him to pieces, but the the original wording is he will cut him to pieces. The, The point is this. If you're deliberately choosing not to do what God has called you to do, then you need to check whether or not you're a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not about losing salvation. This is about if you ever had it in the first place. So if you know what you're supposed to do and you deliberately don't do it, check your salvation. Verse 47, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be meeting with many blows. He says, if there's somebody that knows what they're doing, they don't deliberately disobey. They just are lackadaisical. They're slack. They're lethargic. They just don't do it. They just, I just never got around to it. I just, well, I, sh- I should have, but I didn't really just kind of calm about it. They're going to get punished too. Maybe not as severely, but we need to realize they'll be punished. And then even... The one who does not know and doesn't do will be punished. Even if you miss opportunities you never knew about, there'll be punishment. Now, the point Jesus is making here is not to get all caught up on the punishment. It's simply this, that doing the will of God on the time he has allotted us to do it is a serious thing. And we need to be actively doing what he's called us to do. And that means changing your world. So my question is simple to you. Are you doing that? The place where you work and the place you go to school and the friends that you have and the social circles you find yourself on, the athletic teams that you're playing on, in the organizations you are a part of, are you actively changing the world? In the family you are a part of, are you actively changing your world? Let's pray together.